0: pretty stunning moment. Do you see that gold necklace around President Trump's uh, neck there? Well, Saudi King Salman presented that to the president. It's a gold medal, the collar of Abdulaziz Al Saud is what it's called, and it's the nation's highest honour. Welcome to Politics, an audio product designed to make dumb people smarter, but will make smart people dumber. My name is Tim Batt, and I'm talking to you from Auckland, New Zealand. Who am I? Last time I checked, you were Jeb Lund, <laughs> political journalist, hailing from Florida, the panhandle, the crazy house of America. Hey, do, Jeb. Do you like how I just sort of insinuated that I'm I'm the smart guy and then
1: I'm getting dumber? Like, I'm one of the smart guys because yeah. I just got dumber there. And I I,
0: I, I'm completely fine with being the uh, dumb guy getting smarter to your smart guy getting dumber. That's, I think, how a relationship should work, Jeb.
1: It's yeah, it's like nice and, and symbiotic. It's sort of like a
0: like a bivalve but for two people. It's like a it's like an intelligent seesaw is what it is. <laughs> we'll meet in the middle and have no fun. Um, Jeb, we talk about American politics and a lot about Trump because he's in charge of it now. And luckily for us, some juicy shit happened recently because Trump brought his national American politics to the world stage by having his first trip abroad. And boy, was it a doozy. There were so many people who were lauding him on different TV shows, saying that he looked presidential and he was finally reading his speeches um, from cue cards and auto cues and sounding like the real deal, a real American president. And then he just started engaging in all kinds of bullshit, like touching orbs for weird photo shoots and (laughs) getting in handshake arm wrestles with the french president what do you make of it all mate
1: i i think everybody's been unreasonably down about the orb thing my theory is that it's a um uh, it's a device for harnessing orgone energy and then transmitting it to old hopelessly repellent men with uh terminally flaccid penises
0: hey we can live in hope. um, Just to explain, because I think a lot of people online would have seen the orb thing and just kind of cracked up at it because it was such a weird optic, but not really knowing what it was. It was an integrated, um, like, basically anti-terrorism threat center that's based in Saudi Arabia. And by touching that orb, they were kind of officially unveiling this thing and kicking it off. Uh, The photo, you've seen it. It's hilarious. I don't know how his media people managed to get him in that situation considering that um he like <laughs> is so obsessed with looking good at all times to the point where it looked like he was on the verge of crash tackling uh, the leader of montenegro to get in front of a g7 photo op and yet there he was with with a bunch of uh, middle eastern leaders putting his hands on this glowing orb in a dark room it was real comic book shit and it was hilarious
1: yeah and it happened to Bannon too. You may not have seen it. There were some animated gifs uh going around of you know various uh mem- you know Saudi princes kind of grooving and milling around Bannon and he had this sort of like deer in the headlights look of like, what do I do? You know, it's 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 It was freaking out. It's the beach of the Saints. It's the, you know like, <laughs> uh, I mean just the whole fiasco just nicely illustrated the the total schizophrenia of their their Middle East policy. I mean the you have this this selective Muslim uh ban, which is a Muslim ban, but it doesn't apply to countries like Saudi Arabia, which furnished, you know, the majority of our 9-11 hijackers uh, it doesn't involve a lot of countries that, that Donald Trump and and his company have material investments in, but you know you've got a, a country with with just absolutely grotesque levels of unemployment, no future for the youth except to be angry shit kickers looking for the first thing that that uh, gives them purpose, and then you know you have various princelings who want to get rid of the problem and they throw money at their unwanted relatives or or uh, and and ship them out of the country and just help radicalize this problem that everyone in the trump administration tells you is this existential threat to the united states at every waking moment and there he is you know just
0: uh putting his hands on the jerk off globe with the rest of the uh, the princes there uh and, and this th- i mean one of his like big lauded proud moments of this trip was the fact that he was uh or he sort of took the credit for though i don't know what the um sort of state department um, involvement with this would have been, but a $110 billion weapons deal uh, to sell a bunch of American-made weapons to the Saudis, which seems like a terrific idea um, in light of exactly what you've just outlined, that they're a, um, a, a huge provider of weapons via proxy, usually, um, that end up in the hands of terrorists and ISIS and places like this.
1: Or or just, you know, fragging uh, another house full of people and making all their living relatives into the same. I mean, we have no problem with... yeah. With uh, you know, with with Saudi violence in, in our name and and, I mean, it just like you know the 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 whole story of of the Arab Spring ends with to kind of paraphrase a, a a word choice that my friend Dan O'Sullivan used uh, it it all ended with the sound of the the,
0: the safety catch coming off an American made M sixteen dang that's uh that's powerful although at least that ended in like a pop well ended sort of kicked up into a popular uprising this and seems like it's arming the people who are already in charge and not very good
1: yeah i mean although you know at the moment that we were we were celebrating uh freedom in Tahrir square of course we were happily uh greasing the skids for it to be utterly crushed in bahrain and and other places around the gulf while our uh, our sect def was 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 meeting with the the same sort of autocrats that uh, uh Obama was cheerful cheerleading uh the the deposition of and of course mm-hmm. you know we, we saw what happened in in uh, uh in Egypt we got our sclerotic military autocracy back uh that's friendly to Israel and bombs and tortures the right sort of people so I mean like you know we, we had a schizophrenic policy under Obama too it just was slightly less comically shitty yeah. and stupid about itself i mean like it's still engendered contempt but not like not not like sneering laughing contempt the way you know seeing good old racist shit for brains, steve bannon trying to feel that beat with, with a bunch of of people in in like you know
0: full uh dish dasha or, or uh, whatever you want to call it it just shows up as well the paper thin argument ideology that they have attitude that they have towards islam and muslims because they keep issuing these things like muslim bans and i guess the only um somewhat intelligible argument you could make is that they have cultural values that are incompatible with the american way of life but then you go to saudi press the flesh you make it the first country that the president goes to after being sworn in And he's making business deals to sell weapons to these guys and, uh, you know, opens up the dialogue by saying we're not here to lecture you about your way of life and how you conduct yourselves. And it's just like, is there any more obvious uh, the Emperor Has No Clothes moment than that? That he, he, like, ran on this campaign of anti-islam and anti-muslims and keeps trying to introduce legislation to ban muslims from america and then he's fucking right there as his first trip out there like he's there's no more naked a display of just pursuing whatever the lowest common denominator is of getting the votes and getting into power and then quickly disregarding that at the first sign of um of just having to be steadfast in something i mean i think it's kind of good ultimately that this seems to be a sign of him shedding his islamophobia but it's fucking terrifying that the way that that is showing itself is 110 billion dollars worth of weapons going to a country which you know realistically has attacked the states before
1: oh yeah and speaking of which the next stop on the tour was israel
0: yeah you guys have got such an interesting <laughs> relationship with Israel. So does New Zealand, actually. We just uh, recently, in the last few months, got in trouble with Israel big time because New Zealand was a co-sponsor um, in the United Nations uh, for, I can't remember what the resolution was, but it was basically telling Israel to chill out a little bit on the um, Palestine settlements. Yeah, like and please, boy, did they not like that.
1: You, you can't keep building ranch houses on land that belongs to another sovereign people yeah yeah (laughs) that confusing issue that's only been around for 40 years Uh, exactly
0: we were co-sponsors though baby uh but little old (laughs) new zealand throwing its dick around way to
1: go yeah you're gonna uh i'm 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 sure you're just there will be some angry mail about like some politician of yours who's now just the worst guy in the world uh yeah an anti-semite and yeah totally yeah um it happens i mean you know you get used to it i I remember during this is like completely off topic, but I remember during Operation Cast Lead, I, I was uh, uh, a moderator on a, f- a current events forum. I was actually a paid moderator it was a decent gig, uh, but I actually just posted what the actual death stat- statistics were between uh, people killed by, by Israel and, and bombing Gaza during Cast Lead and, and people actually killed by Qassam rockets in like the previous eight years. And it was like this 22 to one ratio. Um yeah and, and, like a member of the board reported me to the a d l multiple times, <laughs> and Man, she kept alive. sending me she kept sending me like private messages like by the way, you know, here's a a copy of the letter I sent to the a t defamation league about you and and like at the time, I was just way too tickled about it to not just be like well how did
0: you what did you tell them my job was <laughs> <laughs> i <laughs> <Why>? <laughs> These arguments are getting more common as well, where like there's sort of uh points of policy debate that gets so fraught because at the first sign of you sort of not being with the current hegemonial way of thinking you know you get accused of being a an anti semite nazi or something it's it's fucking tricky, man, stuff like that's popping up more and more it makes me very unhappy it's 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 being recognized more and more
1: uh <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah no so so they, anyway they, they got there yeah they got to israel and 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 trump said it's you know it's great to be here after i just got back from the middle east and and ron dermer <laughs> yeah. the the u.s uh the israeli ambassador to the u.s just like had this beautiful what the fuck face and then uh it, not to be confused with his his resting fuck face um uh, and then and then trump confirmed that that he was the source of israel was the source of the intelligence he leaked by going by the way that intelligence which i didn't leak it i never once mentioned israel
0: (laughs) dude when i saw that footage because i sort of saw that headline going around and when i looked at the video to you know you you want to you want to see those moments yourself not just read the reporting around it i was like my first initial thought when i saw that was that this is a This is a dude on the mental decline, like in a very serious way, because he was standing there with with Bibi Netanyahu and the kind of press availability had ended. Um, Netanyahu, I think, took a question or two from the press and answered it in the very smooth way that he does. And they were kind of going out of there. And Donald Trump decided that he didn't, it seemed to me, want Netanyahu to be the last person to speak. So he he told everyone (laughs) to shut up in the room. To be, so, they, everyone was like wrapping up, getting the cameras back in their bags. There was a lot of like chatter and stuff as everyone was bailing out of there. He told everyone to shut up, and then announced, "I just want to be absolutely clear, I didn't say Israel." And it was like, "What the fuck are you talking about? No one, <laughs> no one said that you, dude. What are you up to?" I oh know, man!
1: Like, and it couldn't have been more obvious too that, like, I mean, if anybody, I, I doubt anyone was really in any doubt that he had fucked up and already done this, but it was on the level yeah. of like. You know, like, when, when a 14-year-old boy goes into, you know, his bathroom for, like, a half an hour and comes out and, like, and you're like, what are you doing in there? And you don't <laughs> need to
0: really ask. For, but Not if, masturbating, that yeah. is for sure. Can everyone please be quiet at the breakfast table? I definitely wasn't masturbating for half an hour, and I need you to know that. And it was, um, I just want to take a wider scope for those who, who may have missed that story as well. So that was, uh was it russian R- russian officials that he was allegedly talking to and revealed um some classified information about a uh, hit or proposed plan to hit ISIS well it was, was it was he, it the they, russian they, ambassador he was talking to
1: yeah there was it was kislyak was there a, a, along with the uh, um the russian foreign minister Sergei lavrov and and that was the one the white house visit that uh the american press was not invited to and that uh, a photographer from the official state media TASS, uh, which has been used as a cover for spies in the past, was allowed in with all his, all of his equipment into the Oval Office. And uh, Trump told them about this very, he said, we have the best intelligence. It's so great. And it wasn't theirs. It was Israeli intelligence. And as it happened, it was somebody who, uh, by like all accounts, was actually embedded with ISIS. So uh, right, right. you saw like a lot of people kind of coming out and going like, well, that person's dead now. Uh, yeah. which you know might just be for effect uh you know a lot of there's some other ways that that intelligence might have been received but uh you know the the imagery obviously works
0: um so other high points of the trip he has also been uh joining the g7 members and i mean it's just like another day another photo opportunity for left-wing media to <laughs> throw around online um it was crazy. The handshake that he engaged in with Emmanuel Macron, the recently elected French president, um centrist president, was just like this pissing contest of white knuckled gripping between two dudes who refused to let go. It was the most insane thing. And he lost. True. Trump, Trump, Trump lost. If you look at it, if you look at it carefully,
1: like he he his hand his knuckles are going white and then his his face starts to transform into a wince, and yeah. then you see his fingers go completely slack in macron's hand i mean he cried uncle i mean trump trump is the cuck
0: here he lost but uh, but to, i mean to quote from a movie that i've seen 44 times now called we are your Friends, starring zach efron are we ever going to be better than this jeb like who gives a <laughs> shit who won the handshake that's like this is some schoolyard bullshit conducted by a man who's what's trump 70 years old
1: Yeah. Well, I mean,
0: yeah, I mean, you're right about the age, but
1: like, I don't give a shit about the handshake. I give a shit that Trump gives a shit about the handshake. And if you establish those points, you know, and you lose, I'm going to roast you for that. Like, I don't think you're any less (laughs) like if you you went spearballed tomorrow, I'm not going to think that you're less of a dude because you don't have a thick, wavy head of hair. Right. But if you had spent the last if we'd been hanging out since high school and you were always roasting guys for being bald and saying that they were unmanly, like I'm going to clown on you on that basis probably forever or at least for five years. I mean, at the, at the end of the five-year term, if I've endured five years from you, you know,
0: then we're, then we're done. Uh, I'll no longer tease you. I like but, that. You know, you're know like, you allowed to mock people based on the parameters that they have set out earlier on.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you're going to establish these chicken shit criteria, and it's clearly important to him as this, like, empty mm. gesture
0: of masculinity, and you fail on it, then fuck you. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. And um, there's kind of like... I mean, all the stuff we talked about so far is a little bit silly stuff and weird optics and that. But there's some very serious uh, fallout from an international relations point of view of this trip as well. Um, In particular, and I I haven't seen the latest on this, but there seems to be some signals that Trump is pulling America out of the Paris Agreement, um, which is a collection of nations coming together to try and tackle climate change. Um, The agreement that they made... Uh, last year, I want to say. Sure, we'll go. We'll go with last year. Yep, good stuff. Uh, the, I'm the not Paris sure what the year, main
1: this year is. To be very honest with
0: you, yeah, I'm talking to you at one a.m. as well, and I know that you are um, frequently on a, a concoction of varying amounts of sleep and stimulants <laughs> and what have you. Um, the uh, The main bit of the agreement is that the agreeing nations are. Uh, are going to attempt to try and hold global temperatures to within two degrees c above pre-industrial revolution levels and in addition to that pursue action to try and get it within 1.5 degrees above pre-industrial revolution levels probably won't happen but it's a solid goal that they have out there um and if basically america india and china don't subscribe to this they're far and away the biggest contributors of carbon america in terms of like per capita per head of population is is, is by far the biggest contributor of carbon to the atmosphere so with it if america pulls out there's no it makes it very difficult for smaller countries to be a part of it it's kind of the tppa all over again um and it's just like i read what was the headline which I think was in the Washington Post or the New York Times, was basically describing it as a, a dereliction of duty of American leadership if they do pull out of this. And as a result, people like uh, Angela Merkel, um, Germany's chancellor, uh, is saying that Europe kind of needs to fend for itself now and think about, um, and I'm paraphrasing, but almost a post-America future.
1: Yeah, and, and that I, I think that's also informed by the fact that uh uh, you know, like Trump on the stump said, you know, NATO is outmoded. We're not going to obey it. And we're going to get rid of it. It's crap. And the problem is that, you know, we're, we're bound to the NATO treaty. It's not something that, like, you can just do by executive order. We're legislatively bound to it. And, right. And so, like, all of Trump's uh, NATSEC guys, for the most part, are, are, you know, kind of traditionalists in that NATO is a good thing. And it was kind of expected that he was going to come in and go... Hey, NATO's a, uh, NATO's still a good thing, and instead, you know, he he was you know not palling around with the uh, with Saudis, right? But like you know, he's being very very positive and outgoing toward uh, the Saudis, and then he gets to to Europe, and he immediately goes, you know, hey, everybody here, you're not paying your fair share. Where's the money? Uh, and like later, he was just he characterized Germany as very bad because they're <laughs> sending t- so many BMWs to the United States, which is like yet another like it you know a piece of evidence in in my theory that like every single idea donald trump has about governance comes from like 1988 it's like the japanese are bad the chinese are trading with us and they're cheating and we're all buying
0: german cars Um but like he also doesn't seem to have a grasp on i mean look i'm going to describe what's going on and then ask you where you think it's coming from. But whenever he talks about the NATO member nations not paying their fair share, he always describes it in a way like there is some war chest of money, some bank account that they should be paying into that they're not doing. That's not how it works. It's an agreement that the member countries are supposed to spend, from memory, 2% of GDP on defence, and that there are some countries who aren't doing that, who aren't um, spending quite that amount. Do you think... I'm sure it's a basket of both, depending on the issue. But do you think when he does these with this communication with issues to the public, he genuinely doesn't understand them, or do you think he's simplifying them to the extreme so that he can kind of get the populace to rally around him because he's he's simplifying these complex issues fantastically into bite-sized little chunks, little sound bites that can be on the news.
1: It's, uh, it's a good question, but, like, in this case, I think he genuinely has no fucking clue what NATO does because if, <laughs> I mean, like, you would think that this is, like, really cynical salesmanship for the U.S. population, but he's made all these promises that, like, legally he can do nothing about. Mm. Um, so, you know, the the uh, you know it, the, 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 the overselling isn't doing him a whole lot of good. I mean, you would think, like, okay, the, the way that he frames NATO is, it, he almost makes it sound like the United States pays for NATO and Germany is late with its NATO rent. That
0: is exactly how he describes it when he's talking about it in the press.
1: Yeah, and there's literally no way he's going to get that money. Like, he can never go before the American public and say, listen, I got our check. Uh, you yeah. know, the most that happens is, like, some of these countries bring their their defense spending from 1.2% of GDP all the way up to a full 2%. And, you know, he can say, like, finally, the the, the people of Estonia are paying, you know, pulling their weight and like that's not a big enough prize
0: to bring back and but this is the the thing and i'm not going to limit this to trump this is pretty much every politician ever born they never stick to the uh end result of a statement that they make like that on the other side because they've quickly moved into three other arguments that they're starting but you never really see the resolution of those sorts of um the molotov cocktails that he throws out there
1: yeah, although, in in this case, like, you know, it, seem, it seems like this is something that he heard, and then he misheard, and he warped it around in his little Trumpy brain. And he's made this promise for so long that he refuses to back away from it because it's part of his brand. But I don't think anybody managing him at any point has said, this is a good take. You know, it just doesn't... Right. I, I don't know why, like, a, a strategist would say, this works for you. I mean... Because at no point has like the, the thing he's been complaining about existed. So the thing he's trying to promise can't exist either. And so he has to just like come up with more bullshit. And, you know, like the true believers are going to be fine. I mean, I, I remember I was looking through Twitter as, you know, during the orb thing. And all mm. those guys are like, well, finally, he's got the Saudis on our side fighting terrorism. You know, that, that's always going to work for people who had no idea what the fuck the Saudis were doing this time last year. Uh, or yeah. have any idea who was involved in like 9-11 maybe uh, or you know the the muslim brotherhood or like you know who who's making up like isis recruits i mean people who don't know that shit are gonna be fine but like anybody who does read the paper periodically and who might have been well disposed to and this is just like another domino that goes and there's no what's the fucking return
0: Had to say Hard to say, but it it does depend on the public's attention span to be able to follow these things through. And I just think yeah. it's non-existent at this point because there's a new fireworks show every day. Um, another little uh, uh meeting that he had abroad was he he got to meet the Pope, um, who gave him a 192 <laughs> page letter about climate change, which was pretty amazing. And there were lots of like silly um, you know, photo gags going around the internet as well. Which, I mean, on the one hand kind of unfair a, a lot of them were showing uh the popers being very despondent and pissed off looking while trump was smiling from ear to ear you could you can get that shot if you want and the press decided to roll with it but i think more than anything those sorts of events online when they happen those little flash points of publicity those photos that get shared virally across the world like in a matter of an hour they're just they're an example of when you uh expend all of your capital with the press you get everyone offside anyone who's you know remotely centrist you, you lose as well everyone just engages in this global version of Schadenfreude freud where they celebrate every misstep possible and and pick the worst photo of you and share it around to all their mates and stuff and particularly getting the press offside he's been lambasting the press since he's been campaigning and any one of these opportunities as president, there's, you just you can't help but create so many of these opportunities, and they're just gonna fuck you with them if you don't have any goodwill. Oh yeah, we we definitely need to get to that in the the next bit. But uh,
1: I mean, there was a couple bits that like weren't just empty imagery that I thought were were kind of like legitimate avenues for going. What's going on here? I mean, you had uh, Ivanka and Melania not wearing uh, you know any kind of head covering in Saudi Arabia, and then they show up to meet the Pope in full widow's weeds and like you know I, you don't need to dress like that for an audience for the pope but it really did seem like they went to somebody at bloomingdale's and said what do catholics look like when they're serious and then their yeah, personal shopper went out
0: especially this pope i might add you know pope benedict maybe that guy was you know he seemed pretty dour and serious and a bit of an uptight asshole but francis is a good dude he's loose he's the party pope <laughs> yeah it was you know he's jesuit
1: he, he hangs out with people who do bad things he has to pick up good ideas from them but uh yeah <laughs> <laughs> but like it just seemed like such cynical pandering uh to to like catholic you know uh kind of work the the white working class voter that broke for trump right like hey listen how reverently we're gonna treat this audience for the pope we're gonna get in full kind of like wednesday adams gear for it and <laughs> yeah but at the same time, like the person that they just sent and and was there for, I guess like you know one of these meetings. Maybe I I, I can't remember. Like so much of the coverage was on the fact that he left Sean Spicer out of the meeting, and, and Spicer's like the only devout Catholic and the senior, uh, senior members of the the, the staff, uh, which is just oh like my a,
0: god, I didn't know that. Oh, just oh, m- that sucks. I mean, like f- fuck Sean spicy, Spicer. He's <laughs> like he's put up with so much shit. My poor little spicy. He's the, he's the dude fronting this this war of attrition every single day. I, and yeah, he, he didn't get he's this doing, one opportunity to see the man himself. He's doing it up his Q rating and to, and
1: to wind up in the history books. And he doesn't really give a shit, like, all the evil things he's trying to cover for every day. I, like, I'm fine with him being heartbroken. But um, anyway, like, so Spicer who would have been like, you know, a plausible candidate to bring gets left at home. But our ambassador to the Vatican is, of course, Callista Gingrich, whose uh, husband has been married three times. And, and he, he he served his wife with divorce papers when she was on in her sick bed in the hospital. Um, and oh. at the same time that 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 this trip was going on, that same husband was was. Uh, fueling the the Seth Rich cons- was murdered by the Democrats conspiracy theory. So you've got a guy. Who Hold was, on, Sorry, who are you talking about again? Newt Gingrich.
0: All cool. oh, right. So yeah,
1: Callista Gingrich is our ambassador to the Vatican. So she she's mm. um, she wasn't married at the time, but she sure did help him commit adultery. And yeah. and uh, and at the same time that uh, that you know they were visiting with the, with the Pope, you know Newt was out there going you know fueling the well maybe the Democrats murdered Seth Rich because. He was actually sending the WikiLeaks info to Julian Assange, and and Russia had you know, nothing to do with it.
0: And like, just you know, who probably put up with enough shit to earn being the ambassador to the Vatican is John Boehner, because that guy from memory cried like a goddamn baby when he met the Pope.
1: And he and he smokes, so he could hang out with a lot of priests. A lot of them like to smoke, you know.
0: <laughs> well, there you go. Two it's, things in common: yeah. they both like the Pope, and they both like to smoke. Yeah and red wine i
1: mean he'd be very happy in in rome just you know three sit, three. just sitting out like a little under like a big uh, uh cinzano uh umbrella you know just uh having a having like a sangria and just smoking a marlboro and just really taking the whole thing in
0: uh jib let's take a short break i'm gonna go grab a cold beer from the fridge and we'll pick back up and i don't know i probably talk about russia because how can you not these days <laughs> When people are pounded night after night uh, with that kind of frantic, hysterical reporting, it naturally shakes their confidence. And yet, don't get the impression that you arouse my anger. One can only be angry with those he respects. Welcome back to POLITICS, a show about a show of people pretending to do American politics. Tim back, back here and Jeb I want to pick up the point that you uh wanted to talk about earlier about Trump exhausting any goodwill that he might have built up in the media by being a fun clown um by attacking them constantly
1: yeah I was so I you know kind of in a macro way I've been I've been going back and rereading a bunch of Watergate stuff and and I mean this idea that uh the, you know that that aggression toward the press is is somehow new or reached a, a new Low, I think. I mean, it, it's not new. It's it's definitely a new low. But I mean, the idea that we've gone from like uh, courteous disdain to real incivility, um, you know, only recently is, is I think BS, and I think we just have sort of short memories. Um, you know, like at one point during Watergate, uh, Bob Dole gave a speech, and I think yeah, I think it was forty-seven or fifty-seven individual times in his speech he mentioned the Washington Post, and basically implied that it was garbage and manufacturing it's 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 information. I mean, if you remember the, the coverage of the coverage of Watergate, it's all, well, it's all these anonymous sources It and uh, you know, it's totally unaccountable. And this was, this was a whole argument from uh Republican party in general that the, 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 uh, uh, the press was this unaccountable beast in, in hmm. democracy that had gotten out of control and, and, uh, its ability to use anonymous sources and its its protection from lawsuits was making it an enemy of democracy. So this rhetoric is like forty years old, but the way Trump kind of intensified that and took it into a physical place, um, I think you know didn't inspire, didn't necessarily like you know it wasn't the cause of Greg Gianforte grabbing the Guardian's Ben Jacobs and like you know uh, grabbing him by the neck and and taking him to the ground and and hitting him in the face. Uh, But like definitely the atmosphere for that uh, has been heightened under Trump because this is one of those things I would talk about with people who covered him on the trail for over a year. And it was something that I could see myself feeling. Um, You know, I I didn't necessarily go through it, but like you, you when you were in the press uh, at Trump events, he put you in this sort of metal cage on the floor with your back to the rising stands behind you. And then he would point to them. And so they were kind of sequestered and they became a prop in his, in his theater of glower. And he would say, these people are your enemy. And I I do know that women friends of mine who went out and covered this felt intimidated physically by Trump supporters. Um, uh, I I definitely at like, after he was elected, felt uncomfortable um, once or twice around people when they, you know, I'd say I, I was the press and they would just sort of start yelling at me about being a George Soros backed, uh, uh, you know. Like- I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Like global fascist, whatever. Uh, I'm Because I'm of a slight build and it's not that hard to knock me down. Um, but like. You know that 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 kind of sensation I, I think is is been broadly felt and so like the G and Forte thing was just like a bridge too far for me and like I hope I I'm not even, I'm not really sure where I'm kind of going with this monologue other than like I hope other people who normally wouldn't have any sympathy for the press are like maybe don't fucking ever touch them <laughs> yeah <laughs> don't touch yeah there's gonna be
0: some line somewhere. And this is the uh, was he's a congressman who's just been voted in from the state of Montana who um, was attacked on the eve of the uh, sorry who attacked a journalist on the eve of the election who busted into a um, another different press interview he was doing and asked about his reaction to the CBO scoring of the new American Healthcare Act Mm. and uh, fucking decked the dude as we would say in New Zealand, went at him, brought him to the floor and broke his glasses.
1: Yeah, yeah. So what happened was um, uh, Fox was setting up for like the the, the guys, um, sort of the advanced team and the remote team. Uh, there's a producer and camera guys for uh, Brett Baer's show on Fox were setting up for a thing that they were going to do with Gianforte. So he wasn't on camera. He wasn't conducting anything. Ben Jacobs came into the room and had his recorder and asked about the CBO score, which is a standard Capitol Hill question that you would ask a, a representative Gianforte. um uh, who had like has invested with uh, some firms that that have uh, ties to the Russians and the Guardian had reported on that said, you know, are you from the Guardian and then flipped out on him. And I think, mm. you know, that, that might've been the cause, but whatever, you know, whatever was the, the thing that pushed him over the edge in that moment, like it's absolutely unacceptable. Uh, so like Ben Jacobs wasn't doing anything inappropriate. I mean, that's pretty normal. Uh, you yeah. Know, you go up and you ask a question. Like if if he'd already had a mic in his his face and a a light and a camera in his face, and Jacobs had done that, pushing him away and going like, no, you know, excuse me, yeah, that would be fine. You could ex- you know put your hand on him and say just a minute. But he came nowhere close to doing something that was unprofessional. And you know he did have his recorder on, and so we can hear what happened. And and it seems very yeah. clear that Gianforte flipped out. But like, um. You know, overnight, he raised an additional $100,000. They got a surge. And, and there were people, if you looked at social media, there were people saying, like, great, you know, he deserved it. When Gianforte won, he won by seven points, which was much lower than expected.
0: Uh, And also, we'd just like to point out that um, I think there were a lot of people on the left who were hoping that this incident, because it was on the eve of the election, would swing it. But there was a huge amount of early voting in the state, right? So they couldn't, the electorate couldn't actually respond to this event in real time.
1: Yeah, something like two thirds of the people in in Montana had already filed their ballots by mail or done early voting. And then... Um, uh, then allegedly like the, the secretary of state's office got on like a record number of calls asking about how people could change their votes, but you can't do that in Montana. You can't vote absentee and then go in and vote on the day of and have your vote cast the day of, uh, cancel right. out the previous ones. So those, those people were stuck. So he still won, uh, you know, but within a margin that's encouraging for Democrats, but. Uh, At that rally, there were several national news reporters that were there and there were supporters going by the press table and pointing at them and going snowflakes, snowflakes, and just doing this sneering shit that most people, you know, look, you know, in a crowd, you get fired up and you can all hate things together. You can have your two minutes hate. You can rail against Emmanuel Soros Goldstein or whatever. Um, (laughs) Yeah. But like most people generally don't have they don't feel comfortable going and being aggressive individually to people face to face. Now, when they can't see the press or when they can only see their heads maybe in a pen and they are kind of an idea and not a yeah. set of human features in front of them, it's easy to rail against them. But you don't really get that. I mean, and that's that's what, se- is what seems to be increasing, that people feel uh, a validation because they're being told that the press are essentially a treasonous entity that is embracing and and uh, um, and emphasizing and facilitating an attack on them and they're being told by the highest public servant in the land that this is okay uh, because mm-hmm. the press like any one of them is basically a bad human being and un-american and you know if, if somebody like you know Greg Gianforte literally, you know, he has been trained every day to not say what he thinks and not do what he wants because he wants to be elected. And he should yeah. have been a complete pod person. And the fact that he just went ahead and snapped didn't apologize for it until after he won. You
0: know, like. And this, they actually it wasn't a very uh sort of full throated apology either, right? Like they first tried to insinuate that Ben Jacobs was was kind of the aggressor in the first version of the statement that I saw. Yes. I didn't and, actually see the apology.
1: Well, so that's, that. that's the interesting thing is so, uh, uh, Gianforte is charged with misdemeanor assault. And, uh, if they like any defense that he has that deviates from that official statement, basically will put down in a courtroom that this statement was a lie, uh, in a way that, uh, like is slightly more kind of, I guess, damaging, uh, it, it for them on on top of the fact that like ben jacobs has a recording that in no way supports their
0: narrative of events now it may not necessarily
1: support his but theirs is not
0: borne out by what's on that tape and even more damning than that the um fox staff who were there have come out in full support of ben jacobs and kind of like gave an account that was even more dramatic uh than than sort of the account that ben jacobs gave himself yes in terms they, of how victimized ben jacobs was
1: they were the first ones to mention the punching he didn't you know he he mm. he just sort of said like i got body slammed to the ground and they said he slammed on the ground started you know gene 40 slammed on the ground started uh you know throwing punches at his head
0: now maybe and it's fox this isn't msnbc reporters no i <laughs> overheard a, this happening and
1: that's not local fox that was uh that was a, a national you know a producer team from from the home office so uh, you know, those are the people who are most steeped in the culture, the, the, the Fox war room culture. And they were there mm-hmm. going the, you know, the, the Republican candidates narrative is bullshit. And uh, we side with the, with this, this other guy, you know, the, this this other member of the, the uh, of the press.
0: It's just a damn shame, because the, I think, macro effect of all of these uh, actions that are happening, all these little events, add up to a chilling effect for certain people getting into journalism, which is the kind of staid even-tempered, even-handed journalists who want to do the real work and get in there, they're kind of warded off this because it's basically, you know, increasingly getting into a war zone for very little pay. And the people who get very attracted to these kind of environments are high drama, highly partisan, kind of very biased hacks who just want to write hit pieces for, um, eh, I was going to say BuzzFeed, but actually their um, news and political teams have had good stuff. But you know who I'm talking about. the kind of online tabloid outlets
1: yeah when and uh, you know look half the journalists i know i mean who do politics do you know human aspects of politics too they're not just doing like the here's what's going on on the hill they're going out and meeting real people who are impacted by these things and they're by by policies that are enacted in washington and they want to empathize. I mean, because that's what helps you tell a better story. If you can put yourself in somebody else's shoes and you can see what they're afraid of, and you can you can uh, verbalize that anxiety for other people, uh, it it humanizes a, something that might otherwise be this sort of like faceless, abstracted principle or policy problem. And when those people don't trust you, they don't trust you with as much of their story, which means you know, they're getting misserved by the, the media, not because the media wants to misserve them, but because they're they're deliberately fostering this antagonistic relationship. And and then that just sort of like you know, like that becomes its own vicious cycle. Uh you know, the the presumption of, of objectivity is that your empathy can take you wherever it's most deserving. Um you know, like you're not going in there divorcing yourself from the principles that you believe in. Like, you know, when you leave the interview, you're still going to believe in the things you believe in. But if you sh- if you're trying very hard to remain within you know, the ethics and guidelines, both of, of what you should do professionally, but also what you should do to be a good writer and a good storyteller. You're going to put that aside for however long you're talking to these people and really give them the chance to tell you the things that that keep them awake at night and the things that that keep them proud of themselves and their family and if they're just sitting there making you think like are they going for a weapon when they're digging around behind their back like you're not thinking of them as a person you're thinking of them as a threat or an antagonist and and that just i mean that's, that's going to have that that's a downside for everybody it's a lose lose for everybody and these people, their leaders have said like that's okay. I mean, they haven't said it explicitly, but they've created a climate in which, uh, you know, the press has been been so dehumanized, on, uh, like as a, a start, and in some cases just absolutely, uh, you know, villainized, um, that like you know, that level of aggression wouldn't uh would you know wouldn't be inappropriate for the the threat that the, the press poses. Uh, you know, I could well I could, my yeah
0: <laughs> sorry my, my soul. My sole hope for this, I know you're invested in this because you, you, you're part of that team, but my sole hope for this is that finally in 2017 we have a tipping point where our pinko communist journalist can finally get behind the Second Amendment and start really personally investing in conceal and carry God-created man Samuel Colt made them equal. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh yeah i
1: just i like walk into everything just like hey you know and just open up the the jacket and you've got the the the, hey what's up i'm a journalist
0: (laughs) here's my ID. here's my cult (laughs) you got your press badge hanging from your pocket protector that yet your ccw weapon there under the hip oh boy sad state of affairs um let's leave it there for a tick jeb and we'll come back and talk about some uh smaller politics shall we see, you do score
1: because you know you were waiting to make your decision about health care until you saw the bill and just came out. And we'll top. talk to you about that later. Yeah, but like, there's not going to be time. i just curious if you okay, have yeah, to Speak right with right Shane, now. please. But you I'm
0: sick and tired of you guys. The last Jesus time you came here, you did the same thing. Get the hell out of here. Get the hell out of here. Did the last guy did the same
1: thing, you the really Yes, and you just broke my glasses. Did the last guy do the same damn thing. Did you just
0: body me and broke my glasses? Welcome back to Politics, about dicks and the bigger dicks who roll over those smaller dicks. Hello? Uh, <laughs> which dick are you? If we were trying to divvy up the smart and dumb person at the start, then you have to pick if you're a bigger dick or a smaller dick being ruled by the bigger dicks, Jeb. Yes. Yeah, that's what I thought too. In my head... We are all the smaller dicks and we're commenting on the bigger dicks. Um, We've got an election coming up in New Zealand. I just wanted to round off the podcast this week by just touching on a couple of um, smaller things that are going on. Well, not necessarily smaller, definitely in my case in New Zealand, but just some other uh, political things that are happening. Um, We've got an election coming up in a few months. I think it's in September from memory, and it looks like our centre-right government uh, led by the National Party is probably going to stay in again. I think this will be, I really should know this, their fifth term, which I'm pretty sure is historic. New Zealand generally has a pretty short attention span, and we like to give the parties anywhere between uh, two and four consecutive terms before we will turn on them for getting bored. But um, <laughs> the opposition, the centre-left opposition in this country is is not good. Um, it's suffering a bit of a crisis of leadership at the moment, and uh, just in terms of like a really recent local event that's happened... Uh, National brought out the budget, which we do annually here, Um, and there was a lot more goodies for middle class and uh, families of New Zealand than anyone was expecting, and it's taken the wind right out of our center left's uh, party's sail. Uh, which is the in New Zealand, that's the Labour Party. And Labour have just failed even now to articulate a response to this budget, which came out four or five days ago. They, they actually did manage to find one bit, which was through the different tax credits um, that are given out uh, based on how many kids you have and what your circumstances. They've come up with a line about a single child tax, because if you have one kid through the different programs that are out there and tax benefits and stuff um i think you're going to be slightly worse off and everyone else is is quite a bit better off under the new budget so basically national has been quietly accruing um a bit of surplus and now they're giving it all out to to win another election which is not a stupid thing to do if i may, um, like is is the
1: the, yeah. the 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 penalty does that apply to is it only families with one child
0: whereas like childless yeah. and
1: ones with multiple children are better off or is it nine no, children
0: period it's specifically families that have one child and i um unfortunately haven't dug through the policy in great uh, detail but we've got a tax credit system here called working for families that was actually introduced by the labor last labor government led by helen clark who's at the un now and it's basically just a set of um tax incentives and a tax relief for families people with kids and um yeah, Labour has attempted to make hay out of something that it's dubbed the, the single child tax, which is just by virtue of the changes that are happening, where most people are going to be a lot better off, um, it's not going to be very advantageous to be in a position where you are uh, a two-parent family with one child now mm-hmm. through the, the tax system. But, I mean, I it, it, I think it's pretty nominal. I wish I had more detail. I really should, but um, that's what's happening here at the moment. So it looks like National, unless something pretty dramatic happens, will sail to another victory. Even the Greens, who have traditionally been a quite out-there left party, they used to run, exclu- like when I was a teenager, when I was quite a bit younger, they used to run really strongly on a... Uh, a legalized cannabis platform with kind of environmental issues sprinkled in there as well and over the years they've kind of matured and evolved into a more uh, center chasing party which I think has actually been great they've got people like economists who have risen to the top and become co-leaders and they've still kind of kept a lot of their core um, ethics and morals they've got some really cool rules about how the party is ruled uh, it's, there's two leaders at all times and it's got to be a male and a female at the top and they've got a lot of mandates about uh, in their list, their ranking list, they've got to have a certain quota of young people that are in the top 15 and um, different different things like that, quotas that they have to make for diverse representation. So they're kind of a, a cool party and they're doing a lot better year after year um, by kind of coming to the centre. But I'm just starting to hear a bit of sentiment now bubbling up in the um, letters to the editor and that about. Uh, you know, people are feeling that they're selling out a little bit now and not going as hardcore on environmental issues as they used to, um, which is, uh, you know, the trade-off that you make. But that's what's happening in New Zealand. And the UK is probably the the way more exciting one because they're about to have uh, an election hey, on you, the 8th of June. I have an important
1: yeah. question about this. Uh, the Green Leaders, mm. has anybody yeah. written a, a rom-com about the man and the woman <laughs> falling in love
0: yet? I'm not aware of any um, fan fiction. Okay. About that incredibly niche subject, but I, I'm sure I'm there's sorry, a market for it. Cuz
1: that's a that's a long policy-heavy meat cute, and I can't think of anybody more qualified to handle uh, this kind of task <laughs> than you and me. So, let 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 this podcast constitute a record stipulating that Tim and I have dibs on the New Zealand Green Party leadership rom-com. <laughs>
0: We get to option the rights on that, huh? Yeah. We've got right of it's refusal. Basically, yeah. I mean, it's it's like the whole it's bit that fair. you
1: guys do in the worst idea of all time when you come in and you pitch something, except it's already greenlit yeah. and nobody else can do it.
0: Greenlit being the operative word. That's good stuff. The UK election's creeping up as well, Jeb. That's on the 8th of June. And uh, Jeremy Corbyn, who everyone had kind of written off until real recently, is sort of surging in the polls now and the gap's closing a lot because- it seems like Theresa made made a couple of um, false steps recently. I keep seeing this headline about a dementia tax, and I I haven't um, uh, read up on what that actually is. I don't know if you've seen stuff about that, Jeb.
1: The 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 stuff I I keep seeing it is just about like you know her trying to attack Corbin on on you know like well where's the money going to come from or where does it go and and almost like her budget is hugely reliant on just taking money from other parts of the budget and going well this program is solvent. It's the same kind of shell game that Bobby Jindal played with the budget in in Louisiana before cratering it. And it's the same kind of game that Scott Walker has had to play uh, in Wisconsin to get like, well, we're going to lower your taxes and we're going to keep all the same services and we're going to keep the budgets balanced. And what they do is they raid rainy day funds, take stuff and and basically calculate it, you know, stuff that is one time only revenue and and pretend like it is an annual thing that they can come back to when in fact you spend it, it's gone. And just the, you know, this is, it's such a... I mean, this is something I think Americans have been used to for a long time, like getting the lecture about, you know, we're the party of responsibility. We're basically like dad handling the pocketbook and dad has a gambling and cocaine problem and, and just wrapped his Maserati around a stripper, which I don't know how that happened. Right. And like, meanwhile, Corbin, who they've tried to portray as a radical, has like this radical notion uh, that you can tax people who make money. And like, and it's re- it's been really funny to see like everybody saying this guy is out of step. He's never going to cut it in politics. And and like he and Sanders both anticipated that this that there's going to be this 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 sort of toxic blend of of racism and and populism that's fueled in large part by people being dropped out of the economy and and you know having no choice but to basically be a greeter at whatever the UK version of of Walmart is. I assume it's basically just a really really large asshole Tesco's, but.
0: um yeah i i I have no more information in my bank about the uk election uh but it's one that i'm probably going to read up a lot on overnight tonight um just to get up with the play on that because it does seem to be getting increasingly interesting as it draws closer to um to election night in the uk i did like let's see how that goes
1: i did like the cravenness i felt it was craven of of we are putting Mm. we are putting uh the armed forces out on the streets in in response to the manchester uh suicide bombing which i mean england has like god bless england for for having that that the typical you know british phlegm in response to to terror attacks and not giving terrorists this this sort of like glittering worldwide attention for oh my god look at the devastation they committed and it really felt like like may was 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 pushing the look how strong and responsive we are in 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 the run-up to the election button by putting uh folks in uniform out on the streets everywhere in response i mean it just seems so disproportionate
0: yeah, I got that feel as well that the people of Manchester City are really banding together in a wonderful way and sort of taking to the streets in solidarity for decentness and it does feel like Theresa May's and the Tories are trying to gin up this very American flavored response um to to a, a devastating tragedy that happened but it seems like the actual people the people of Manchester are you know responding in a really mature And kind of wonderful way of all kind of coming together and looking after each other in a very community-focused way. And Theresa May is is trying to sort of replicate this heavy-handed Iron Fist response where everyone rallies around, um, you know, like a, a strong military leader. And you're right, it just feels very manufactured. And that, I mean... For all your faults, man, there's something really wonderful about that culture of the British way, that stiff upper lip, that keep calm and carry on attitude of we've been through a lot and we're not going to get disproportionately rattled or upset um, by some uh, mentally deranged people who do some terrible, terrible things. Uh, We will we will mourn and we will look after each other, but we're not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater, which unfortunately seems to be, in in kind of the modern age, the very American response to these sorts of attacks. And I just don't know if it's going to play. And it seems to be a contributing factor to the tightening of the polls between the Conservatives and Labour in the UK, that Theresa May seems like culturally a little bit out of step with the general populace, but I guess we will find out.
1: Yeah. The, uh, like I made it through, uh, a friend of mine actually said, phrased it this way. I'm lifting his phrasing. He says, you know, I managed to make it through the whole day without getting upset about the Manchester bombing, except in the, you know, that kind of like abstracted, this is reprehensible and I'm sorry that people died and I'm sorry that they are hurt. But, you know, in a way that without emotionally engaging and, and, you know, just seeing some, this, you know, guy with the, uh, you know, slightly wonky dentition and a bald head and, and you know, uh, thick Mancunian accent saying, you know, he, he came down uh, to the blood bank to see if he could donate blood because that's what he could do. And he was so yeah. pleased to see uh, it wasn't there was no sitting. It was standing room only and, and there wasn't standing room. So he just asked if he could help out by filling out the form and leaving it and coming back to donate later. And they said, thanks absolutely that would be great and he said great so i've just been walking around the streets trying to smile at everybody
0: and man like yeah the same thing happened to me i
1: couldn't i mean i i like i managed
0: to hold it together until i saw that and then yeah yeah people are so much better than their leaders i think that's a universal thing right yeah yeah
1: and then i mean so this happened i I don't know if you saw this there was a a a fatal dual stabbing in portland on a train portland oregon Um, yeah Uh, A guy who uh, has a a criminal record and uh, uh, allegedly was was radicalized, maybe in prison, but uh, had a history of showing up to public events and screaming white supremacist things, was yelling at um, these two uh, women of color, one of whom was wearing hijab. Uh, on the train and saying like I'm a taxpayer. You people don't do anything and you take all this. And and uh, three people got up and and basically made a wall between this man and 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 the women and tried to deescalate it. And he uh, cut two of their throats and they they died. Mm. And uh, another guy mm. made it through and he's got like this nine inch long gash running from his ear down to his throat. And you know it was another that was another thing where I you know I again was processing it sort of ob- objectively and then. Sort of the stories came out about you know one of the guys who who did it was a uh, you know he had three daughters and he, he was an army he was a military veteran and then the the younger kid whose name i won't even attempt to pronounce uh, although i might actually get it right if uh, on the like the third try um you know, he was this 20 something guy and he went to reed college which is kind of a running joke from my college is sort of like like our northeastern campus uh that and evergreen college or sort of like the northeastern sorry northwestern divisions of our school and he could have been any one of a a couple of dozen kids i went to college with uh long hair uh fun difficult to pronounce name really outgoing and and supposedly the last thing he said before he died was tell everyone on the train that i love them
0: man yeah well that's a hopeful thing It's sad. It's incredibly sad. But, yeah. And and, and we should round off on this, but I just want to get this out because it has kind of been rolling around in my head since the the Manchester uh, bombing happened, is that, like, I think we've collectively, and particularly people in the news, have to stop being so keen to attach political and cultural ideologies to these people. Like, I think if you engage in that kind of bloodshed and make that decision to go and kill people like you're not you're not part of the discourse you're not part of a political conversation that's going on you're deranged like you're outside of 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 what we would take into account to make our decisions about how we're going to live our lives and i just think that all of this stuff about uh seeing that people were you know screaming that the guy was a Bernie bro who was um who who committed the horrific oh, stabbings man. in like Oregon. the fucking and, the
1: assload of cynical shit that has jammed up the the Clinton that do that is like that is actually i'm i was more pissed about that than the fact that our president didn't say shit about you know a veteran and a you know a young college student dying trying to protect someone's first amendment rights
0: like i the 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 urge it, ugh it does it swings both ways as well because I, I know that there's kind of a line of sensibleness in here somewhere but it does swing both ways in that um i'm sure that we would be both of us Jeb, guilty of engaging in a similar thing with you know gun fanatics and people on the right in there and and attaching um an ideology and kind of painting uh you know gop voters with this brush more than they deserve so i just think yeah we need to kind of reign that shit in these people who commit these atrocities are deranged and i don't think that we should keep including them in kind of political and cultural conversations i think they need to be removed from that because it's just not helpful and i think it radicalizes people and i think it's part of this whole thing of us becoming increasingly polarized and not being able to communicate with each other and it's not good
1: see and i like i think that it is a completely valid thing to to want to believe um and i think it's a heartwarming thing to want to believe on on to a certain extent but like terrorism uh acts of terror are you know like like clausewitz said you know uh war is the continuation of diplomacy by other means well v- political violence is the continuation of political policy by an other means now this guy might have been unstable the the guy in uh, in in portland the guy in, in manchester might well have been unstable, but these these are people that are uh, they're, they're pawns that get radicalized by a political intent, and and causing other people to be afraid of them advances a political intent. And like you and you know, there, there are great examples of that being successful too. I mean, like I think the members and leaders of Sinn Féin would argue that uh, violence, like meted out and in in certain measured ways, like does heighten sympathy or at least heighten the urgency of seeking a political resolution to an issue. Um mm. so like while these guys I yeah. don't think were yeah. felt that they were, you know, like if I, if I commit these murders I create an urgency that uh, makes the legislature do something more rapidly, but they are the end stage user of a kind of rhetoric that says you know non-white people don't belong here muslims especially you can identify them by their outward garments they are a religion of violence and conquest uh you know if you and if you go in the right-wing fever swamps pedophilia and 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 uh, uh sexual servitude and you know sexual sla- uh, slavery um you know that that program, I mean, decades long, and but mostly intensified since 2001 of, of dehumanization of these people creates that end user. And, the, you know, the people who, who create that end user have no problem with it because, you know, every time that something like that is successful and makes that person famous, I think, you know, it inspires somebody else. And it creates that urgency among liberals to maybe not fight it as much because you don't know when you're going to get, you know, when you're going to be the one on the train. Uh, between the target and the angry patriot Uh, i don't know like i i I just i come at this from like uh, a far more cynical space i think um because i don't think it's a mistake that these people get created um uh you know uh, except you know in cases where they they maybe lack the mens rea to understand what they're doing you know that they might be um like somewhat uh uh not neurotypical or or or, or mm. vastly undereducated or they get put in a place like prison where they have to become you know if they want to survive if it, it has a strong violent gang culture they may have to ally themselves with white nationalists to to make it through but um you know there are there are people who profit from this and 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 have no problem with creating the the rhetorical conditions that make this seem like a necessary step and and that is a bigger discussion i think i mean i can't take my i, I don't think we i can take myself out of that
0: but that's yeah, yeah. well we will i'm sure keep talking about about this when inevitably the next awful thing happens uh but we've gone so over time jeb always a goddamn pleasure talking to you man
1: yeah especially you know you let me at the end like you just said something and i went no tim no
0: <laughs> and that's fair enough it's, uh, you can't just say i'll quickly mention this and make it a real big meaty um you know bell for you to chase
1: but it is it's very gentlemanly of you you know you invite me uh you know you have me onto this podcast and you 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 put in more labor than i do at the end of it i just go uh no <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is our podcast jeb this isn't my podcast all right everybody we will hopefully catch you in a week's time um jeb where can we see and follow you uh well i i uh, mobute on twitter m-o-b-u-t-e or on my uh facebook page jeb Lund's word salad and i am uh tim underscore bat b-a-t-t on twitter uh and i've got a comedian page on facebook which is not really worth following unless you're in new zealand and want to know Pshaw. when i'm gigging so i'll just leave that there okay catch you soon everybody bye-bye, bye-bye. NATO members must finally contribute their fair share
1: and meet their financial obligations. This is not fair to the people and taxpayers of the United States. And many of these nations owe massive amounts of money from past years and not paying in those past years. Over the last eight years, the United States spent more on defense than all other NATO countries combined.
0: Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince.